Hello, this is Graphic Policy Radio. This is your host, Elon Eleven, and this is a comics podcast. This is also a comics podcast that's behind schedule. This episode that you are about to listen to is one I recorded back in August. It's an interview with H.A., the creator of a stunning graphic novel called The Chromatic Fantasy. One advantage of the fact that this episode came out with a delay is that the book we discuss is now available on shelves to be purchased. It found a home with Silver Sprocket Press. It is 312 stunning full-colored pages with guilt binding for only $29, and it includes a sticker sheet. You can get it from the Silver Sprocket Press website or from your local comic book store. And I'm so excited to be able to bring this to you and that other folks are going to get to read this comic now. Um, Joining me for the first time is H.A. He's a cartoonist originally from New York State. His work is colorful, campy, and surreal, and combines fantasy with mundanity. And this is his first book, The Chromatic Fantasy. Welcome to the show, H.A. Hello. I'm so excited we connected on, on Twitter. And I think it was because you had tweeted something about that was just sort of like the log line of your book of that you were working on. And I said, you're right. I immediately need to read this. <laughs> um, I, I think you wrote like, I am writing a graphic novel about a trans man who fucks Satan to free himself from being a nun. Does that sound <laughs> accurate? Yeah. That's how I've been. That's how I've generally been describing it. So, and yeah, and that was like a I, w- I looked at your sample art and I said, okay, I'm going to support this. And what's so exciting is, I, you know, I've had your, your digital version and there's a print version coming out in October yes. as well. Yes. From um, Silver Sprocket Publishers. Yes. Silver Sprocket is doing a great job publishing my, my comic and they made it look so cool and shiny and they put gold all over it and it looks great. I'm going to read the uh, promotional blurb about the book. On sale, 10-18-23. It says, Jules is a trans man trapped in his life as a nun. The devil that the convent guards against offers him a deal to escape, an illicit tryst and lifelong possession. Jules takes the deal and begins his new life as a criminal who's impervious to harm. He soon meets Casper, another trans man and poetic thief, and together they steal, lie, and cheat their way through bewildering adventures and develop feelings for each other along the way. But as Jules and Casper's relationship deepens, so does the devil's jealous grasp. A gorgeously drawn graphic novel reminiscent of stained glass and illuminated manuscripts, telling a story of queer trans mask romance, daring adventure, and literally fighting your demons. So that's freaking cool. And I have to say, this is just an amazing debut. Tell me what got you started with comics as a medium. Oh my God. Thank you so much also. But I don't know. I guess I've been like kind of interested in comics and animation since I was like a kid. And I I would draw, I've been drawing just like comics since I was a teenager, like on like printer paper in like Sharpie and stuff. But most recently, I guess, I I guess, I guess specifically how I got into comics now where I'm publishing it is that I went, I went to school primarily for animation and then I sort of felt like 
not not as interested in the animation industry as I thought. And there are stories that I wanted to to work on and tell that aren't aren't really going to be told through animation the way the industry is currently. So I started working more in indie comics and reading more indie comics because they're kind of telling the the types of like visual stories that I was more interested in. Mm. Did you did you read comics at all growing up or? Oh yeah, I feel like I read more like I mean manga are also comics, but I feel like I yes. I had less access to like American comics growing up. It was easier if it seems like it was easier to go to like the manga section of a Barnes and Noble or just kind of illegally download manga from the mm. internet in the 2000s than it, where I was living because I'm I'm from somewhere kind of rural. It was easier to access than a lot of western comics so when i was a teenager i was really into like death note and soul eater and those kinds of manga and i Mm. i also like but then i also because i liked cartoons i was kind of into this is a very 2009 answer altogether of soul eater death note and then i also i was i was really into like invader zim and jonan vasquez and like johnny the homicidal maniac and squee and stuff when i started and then also like gorillas and to their like Jamie Hewlett and Tank Girl and stuff like that. I see so much of that in your art though. And that's, that's really cool. I read Johnny the Homicidal Maniac comics when they were first coming out. And then when there was suddenly an animated show by the guy who made the incredibly violent, profane and hilarious (laughs) comics that were clearly just aimed at goths. Like, I was like, there's an animated show by the guy who, I mean, I, I can see how that could connect also to being like, we can do animation about all kinds of things now, can't we? But, yeah, but not really. There's still the limit, yeah. Yeah. Invader Zim came out when I was in, like, first grade. So I, I never read those things when they were contemporary. There, but, but, like, you still, there's still, like, a very, like, teenagery kind of goth thing like kind of even Mm -hmm. even when they're like how old would they be into those are from the mid 90s yeah they're from like the mid 90s so they're like it like they're like 10 years old or more when i was reading them but but it still resonated yeah Yeah, it still resonated that's good i feel very validated by my teenage interests now Uh, see this is what i choose or i'm I'm gonna oh man what's the tickle me helmos piece oh yeah the the like the I know what you're talking about, and it just keeps going and going and going. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm trying to quote from an ancient, obs- it's not obscure, but like it's not like this is the most popular comic that ever was made. I'm trying to quote it like people are going to be like, oh, yeah, I read that. But I this is, feel, I feel my, my, like, this is my lifestyle I have chosen. No, no, no. That, I know what you're talking about. Know I, I could even, I could probably go get it. It's in my book okay. I'm sorry. We don't, we it's also okay. don't have to, but I could. You could. I feel like, I feel like, we probably should if it's going to be easy because <laughs> we have teased it too long. Is it handy for you? Oh my God, that's so funny. But yeah, you know, I, I, I always think that I've always been obsessed with art that was from before my time. So why wouldn't other people be obsessed with art that was from before their time that happens to be from my time? Perfectly yeah. reasonable. So when you were studying animation and all that, did you feel like it informs the way you draw and do your your paneling for the comic and stuff like that yeah i feel like because i went i originally wanted to be like a 
storyboarder specifically i mm. doing doing like straight up character animation is kind of difficult one one in, in case that's not obvious but with storyboarding i feel like i am kind of always thinking about that kind of thing when i'm paneling where i'm thinking about like the concept of like an a and a b pose or or something like that where like one character is like moving from one pose to the next from panel to panel so i do a really good job of building suspense in the moments where stuff goes crazy and goes black like there's so many times you're reading a comic where something goes black and you're like this feels cheap but like every time you go black i'm like oh Oh no. And then you bring in these patterns sometimes as the world resolves from a blackout. And it's just such an amazing tactic. And I think about how that pacing shows up in your work. I, I totally get it. Thank you. Well, I should ask sort of how did the idea for this story come together? There's there were like there's like a million things I was thinking about when I was making this. But like the original the original characters were that like came to exist because i was watching the movie the devils and i was really excited <gasps> from from like then it's it's 1969 right it's yes oh my god yeah. okay um, that was in my <laughs> notes of like possible touch touch points is for folks who don't know i'm a really big ken russell film fan and the devils is one of the greatest movies ever made and it was like impossible to see but you could actually generally find it now so you should go out and see it and I'm so edified that you are interested in that film because like folks like Derek Jarman is the art director and it's okay. Sorry. I'll stop talking. Oh, no, but yes, no, okay. the devils. Okay. No, you should totally, we can continue talking about the devils, but I basically was like the costumes in this movie were, are insane. And I suddenly, I was like, like prior to this, I really had like no interest in kind of like, medieval fantasy or anything like that but like the costumes in this movie i mean i know it's not medieval it's like it's like renaissance era like it's it's like i think it takes place in like the 1600s but i didn't really have any interest in that that kind of costume until i watched this movie and the costumes in that movie are so beautiful that i started like researching like historical clothing and i got really into historical clothing and like how like the evolution of like garments that we wear currently and and how people used to get dressed and everything like that and i i made two characters whose kind of entire purpose was just so that i could draw like fun clothes on them and they and then i accidentally kept like developing like a personality and and stuff for them so i uh, love that that's the genesis of your piece because i also think clothes are exciting i have actually reading this this comic i was like I want a cassock. What happens? Why Why do I want a cassock? I feel so, <laughs> this is surprising to me because like, yeah, the outfits that they wear in this are so gorgeous and interesting and there's so many layers and everything is like so stacked on each other and it, it's, ah, it's really beautiful. I was really, I was like really interesting. Like the most interesting thing about or that I wanted to like capture about that was that a lot of garments prior to like the industrial revolution are actually just like a bunch of pieces that are like very loosely tied together with like pins or ribbons and like a lot of the things that look like like they're like you look at like a, a painting of like a historical dress and you think it's like that's probably one piece that's like all sewn together but 
that would have been too labor intensive. So it's actually like 30 different pieces that are like just kind of pinned on. So I. And also just like the way clothing and gender operates differently in different time periods, I think is really important for people to look at and consider. I remember having to pull an article out to prove to my dad that pink had been considered the boy's color until his generation, basically. And he was like, no shit. But like, people have no idea. And so what is the line between a dress and a cassock? And what are these different kinds of costumes and stockings? And are stockings for everyone or stockings? Like the every, everything is so specific and different and changes in time. Right, right. Like, I and the other interesting thing about pink is that it used to be considered light red, I think, which is why it was a boy's color, because red is for boys. Oh. Or part or partially. Yeah. I don't I don't I have I have approximate knowledge of the evolution of pink as a concept. Yeah, and it would recently blew my mind how like in some countries and they the way we call pink and red different things, even though they're the same, that they have different like dark blue and light blue are not are they have specific words for each and they're just not yeah. It's like separate the way it is for us with red and pink. Yeah. Like how orange used to just be considered red. And like on some level that actually like that makes like a lot of sense. Orange kind of like is just red. Mm -hmm. Like the line between orange and red is like kind of like pretty narrow in my opinion. We have a lot of orange and red in this comic for sure. I, you know, one of the big, I think, color schemes is you have a lot of red and black and white in this in fire colors like when you're beginning in the mon the monastery in the or i guess it's a monastery i don't know if they're it not is, it's it is just a mon it is just a monastery i don't know yeah i guess okay. it's just, a, it's just i don't know i don't know <laughs> yes but the, but yeah, the, yes and it comes almost with these like styles and looks a lot of people have said that and I, I and i think they're right it sort of evokes the traditional deck of playing cards styles in some ways too and what, what's interesting is you are very clearly visually evoking the Catholic Church, but it's not the Catholic Church. Like, yeah. there's no crosses. The holy image is like a heart instead of a cross. So I'd love to hear about your thought about kind of inventing like Catholic but not, and what was the reason for doing it that way, and what makes it work for you as a religion um, in the story. I, I originally kind of wanted to do more with with that with their religion where it was going to be more elaborately um kind of developed but i also i also felt like the point the point of it really is just that it's that it's catholicism so i kind of just let it be catholicism mm. but not but like different enough that if i get stuff wrong or i make a mistake it's not a big deal what, uh, what works with it for me as you know like speaking as someone who is very much not catholic but is raised in raised in a place where Catholicism was what most Christians are. They, you know, they're all like, oh, like the cross is in love. And it's like, well, you, what if you just sort of like, no, like everything is a heart. Because if you're saying the cross is love, then we're gonna really lean into this and it's gonna be a heart. And even though it's a heart, it's still like this super toxic, destructive, violent yeah force like it even if you're even if it's a heart that doesn't make it even if it's love that doesn't mean it can't be dangerous or hurtful yeah. or whatever and you know you, you have like hearts that are like at the tip of arrows and i don't know it, 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 i didn't realize that it was going to be fictional going into the story and at first i was like huh and now i'm like no i'm super on board with this i really like it that way yeah i originally i changed it um I don't know why I made this change. It, for the whole like script part of me working on it, I had I had referred to that as the God of Love specifically, 
And then I changed it to, I think, the God of Keep, because for some reason, which was sort of, I felt I felt like that was like a kind of fun, like, repet like, sort of pun of keep as in like the keep like with like bows and arrows and for war and also you're you're in there and also you have to like earn being kept like you have to earn your keep and like earn earn love and etc and also also love like as the concept of holding saying like there is no hate like christian love like when they i forget who said that but that was part of it Mm -hmm. but but yeah the love concept being illusionary and kind of manipulative and keeps you there and there's no there's no real love to be found anywhere in there kind of thing yeah yeah but i folks should also understand that there's like a lot of humor in this book too like the, um, there's an you know the, the scene where he's being ravished by the devil and he's <laughs> screaming ah and, you know like and because they're having like they're having like you know sex but like super super mystical sex you know that the head nun is like oh he's probably torturing him now there will likely be nothing left when this is over but we know because we can see that he's like no that's not what's happening and and, it, and it's played in a way it's very funny and like there's you know there's definitely like a mel brooks humor to pieces of a to pieces of a lot of it as well i don't know if that's uh if you grew up with his movies or not oh, but oh yeah that was that was actually another major like influence I kind of wanted this to be like Looney Tunes or like a Mel Brooks comedy type thing, but also it's like kind of serious and anime a little bit. And also mm-hmm. it's kind of like, like, like boys love and it's gay and, and, but it's also like, but they're also like Bugs Bunny or like, <laughs> yeah, I think you've achieved it. I think it is all of those things. I mean, I just can't believe this is your first freaking comic. Good God. Now, I know you had said you originally were trying to make it sort of be like a contained single issue thing, but the story just kept like growing. And next thing you knew, you wrote, you wrote a book that's like 200 pages, basically. Yeah, it's it's 300 pages. 300 pages? Good God. Yeah, I mean, okay. I, I, well, that's just astonishing for a first graphic novel book comic or any. Like this is the first comic you've done, basically, other than like some fan comics, right? Yeah. Um, that's wild. The, the, the the fan comics that I made were long. Mm. I started I started drawing fan comics kind of for money during the pandemic, um, and I accident like I kept like accidentally writing like seventy five page comics like in like a month. But obviously that was when I was like unemployed and yeah. just doing that. And I I had a job when I was writing this, so I was kind of like, why is this taking me so long? Because I accidentally wrote like a like a similar length fan comic in like a couple months hang on i don't remember wow with this i by just drawing like really fast and not paying attention but this this took longer also because i put a lot more effort into it i mean yeah i can tell (laughs) (laughs) i i i'm often not in love with a lot of digitally drawn art because i'm old and my aesthetic sensibility was set at a time before that but like you have kind of a look that's like it's pencil but it's digital like it's pencil but it's like kind of crunchy i was mm-hmm. kind of like hoping for like a sort of disney xerox look a little bit where like like a bronze age disney in like the seven um walt disney the walt disney company like like as as walt was like kind of on his decline and also really focused on epcot and then eventually died rest in peace i suppose we don't <laughs> we don't have to say that here and then he and then he died 
the the company was kind of lost and didn't know what to do and didn't have a lot of money. So they started doing animation by like instead of norm normally what they would do for to finish the animation is they would take like the sketches that are on paper and then paint over them somebody would it would go to ink and paint and the ink person would do ink lines and then they would paint them the the paint person would paint them but they they wanted to this is a long long rambly way to say they they skip they skipped the inking step by just photocopying the the sketches onto the acetate sheet with a with a xerox printer and that's why movies from the disney movies from the 70s are sketchy looking it's super cool <laughs> and it was obviously save them t- save them time and i time yeah. and i also know they recycled some lines from stuff as well i recently saw yes yeah the sketchy lines to make it easier to 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 paint i i kind yeah. of like followed a similar thing where I, I i eliminated inking from my from my process and i just directly sketch exactly what i wanted and not not mess around with other steps and then just do flats to save time anyway and it really it really works i love i i really love it i mean i and this doesn't look like anything else if folks are listening to this episode and you haven't taken a second to look at the art that is in the slideshow or i'll probably like link to the i'll link to the pages that have gone up take a second take a look at this now this is such a unique beautiful look and i think is just really a reason enough to buy the comic beyond plus all of like the story being great and funny and interesting and just really getting you in the feels so much so much getting you in the feels so yeah yeah, you mentioned in the in the blurb it talks about merging of fantasy and mundane but there's also a lot of merging of the sublime and mundane Mm -hmm. like the characters talking with each other feel very modern in ways that are fun without it being like I don't know. We've all seen stuff that takes place in the past that's a little bit too 20 yeah. 23. I was trying I didn't I wanted to avoid the kind of like like thing where it feels like we're playing D&D and we're being silly. Yes. Uh, but I but I also didn't want it to f- but I also like this is kind of low key inspired by like the that Marie Antoinette movie that was extremely mm. kind of historically inaccurate where where it's like mostly 1700s France and and everything but like they're trying to convey like the vibe of how people kind of felt about Marie Antoinette by like like there's a part where they're they play like Susie and the Banshees and there's like a shot where they have like Converse sneakers mixed in with her fancy friend's shoes and I I felt like that when I was like a teenager, I was like, oh, right. People in the past, even though we think of it as being very fancy and, and stuff like that and formal, those were like teenagers basically sitting around doing drugs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, so I wanted to, so I was going more for that direction than like we're being silly in D&D. It's paced in a good way too, where it's during one of Jules's Dark Night of the Soul conversations where his self-doubt tries to convince him of the worst things in the world and his self-doubt tries to get him to tell him to get 
a job at Starbucks so that he can get search so he can get trans healthcare. And I love it. Like you asterisked in Starbucks <laughs> unionized while I was working on this and the trans healthcare might be removed as punishment by the time this gets to you, which like as someone who like, I know people work at Starbucks so that they can get their, you know, like trans healthcare coverage and like they're punishing queer people for organizing this way. And like, I don't know, it just really worked to me to like bring that in there because I feel like Jules's self-doubt figure of himself, Jules is the protagonist, like sounding so much like what ours would sound like as people in twenty third and the whatever twenty the twenty third century, whatever century we're in, you know, to sounding like us, like really worked for me then. Yeah, yeah. There's like a couple. There's a couple different things I was thinking about. That one of them is that like I I actually like reading old comics, especially old queer comics, and they make extremely contemporary references. That like as long as it's not like I mean I I I kind of like it because then it's it's like oh that was like what people my age were thinking about and what was funny to them back then, and I think that's really funny. So in like twenty years, if somebody reads this, it'll be like oh that's so twenty twenty three. Or something. <laughs> but affectionately, yeah, no, I totally know. Like, it was because, especially as queer people, like, we're looking for these little moments of our history that, like, are a timestamp that shows, yeah, like, what people were at and what they were struggling with in those times. So, like, it's, like, dated in the right way. It's like, yes, in this year, 2023, this was a huge issue for in the, in the queer community, specifically in the trans community. And we're yeah. going to just have that. Like, I, I think that's really great. Yeah, um, getting like trans healthcare from Starbucks is just like this is what trans people were doing in 2023, and I, I think like, like, ki- I kind of like documenting what it was like to be trans in an era, is is kind of important to me, and I I also feel like I've been thinking more about like the con like leaning too much into nostalgia in in comics and and I and thinking about mm. like how. Um, older comics a lot of the things that I like about them are that they were that they feel like they're a reflection of the time period they were written in instead of like trying to like imitate the 80s or something like trying to imitate the 80s comic scene that I could never be a part of to instead just be like in the current time period and present with present in the current time period and present with current queer people who really exist now who need representation of their lives now since the 80s aren't happening anymore yes (laughs) one of the things that i was a little bit like worried about going into it not think not worried in the sense that i thought it was going to be like bad but worried in the sense that i thought it might be like hard to read were like yeah like some of the internal struggles that like jules has with his like self-doubt and it's interesting how you have well both you have the devil like verbalizing some of these things to him but also you know a voice inside him doing it as well is it cathartic at all to or is it just like painful but you have to do it because you know people are going to find it resonating i i was primarily writing those parts i feel like those parts are almost a little bit too self-indulgent i'm glad that other people like them and resonate with them but they they were primarily for my benefit I think a lot of it was like me processing like how I feel about stuff and how I like the kind of really unhealthy ways that I process my emotions and and like try and trying to like 
because I because I can't find a therapist. So I can't. I'm trying to like visualize <laughs> the the bad thought processes that I have to try and not do that anymore. So I was trying to become more aware of the ways that I like criticize myself and where those criticisms came from and like like how a lot of that is like kind of internalized transphobia a little bit I think a lot of Mm -hmm. the criticisms I have of myself and also internalized stuff from growing up in a very like conservative catholic area and unlearning unlearning negativity around like sex and sexual expression and other other things like that Yeah. And I feel like that all will also speak to people from a range of experiences too, who are reading this. Not that like, yeah, like I really do see that as well, but no, not self-indulgent. Definitely very, very resonant. I am jumping around a bit. So we have Jules, our protagonist. What do you, you have, you know, Casper who feels very different from him, looks very different from him. Mm. And they have a really great dynamic with each other. And I would sort of what was sort of the genesis for his character and for, you know, he's got his own freaking color scheme and like style. Yeah. You know, Casper is fun. So Casper, like, so kind of what I wanted to do with both of them is I wanted them to be the sun and the moon, but I wanted them to be like, usually, usually the sun is like happy, sunshiny, and then the moon is like the emo. And I wanted to reverse that and make jewels the sun and have the sun be emo and have um, Casper as the moon be like a, a positive, relaxing, calming force mm. um, and kind of like dreamlike. And I also wanted him to have like way too much lore. I thought that would be really funny. That's true. He has a lot of lore. He's like, I was raised by wolves, but also I was on a boat, but also, but like that, like there's people who are like that. Like, yeah, he's that yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah. He's, <laughs> he's that guy where like he just keeps, like he just keeps like, telling you information about himself and it just like there just keeps being more like stuff and you're just kind of like you're you're not that old how have you done all of this like when were you somebody who like sometimes somebody who's like 19 is like yeah i used to do a lot of acid and and this stuff i'm better now and i'm like you're only like 19 when 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 were you doing this and how are you better now so i they have very different like a po- they have like kind of opposite coping mechanisms for all of their their problems like Jules is very much like Jules is like very serious and perfectionist and like tries very hard and is has a problem where he doesn't he like won't stop punishing himself internally mm-hmm. he he's primarily learned to regulate himself through punish through punishing himself and he needs to unlearn that. Sorry, are these spoilers for my book? I don't know. No, I don't yeah, consider no. this kind of stuff spoilery. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, you know, I, then, there are things that would qualify as spoiler, but this does not okay. to me, you know, no. And then Casper is kind of the opposite of that, where he kind of he kind of, kind of avoids his problems and doesn't like to think about anything that's going on and doesn't think before he does things and kind of lives in like a really like dissociative sort of state in my opinion and doesn't really doesn't really think very hard about anything just kind of just kind of again like very like dreamlike internal world and it catches up with him like you know they both have their own especially in the climax which i won't go into the details of but like i think that really worked together but I, i really do love how angry jules is how he's like little and mad (laughs) <laughs> and just like burning with anger <laughs> so much 
Oh yeah, he's I love I love an angry little guy. Mm-hmm. This is my favorite. One of my favorite kind of guys to write is just an angry little guy. You know, one of the things that I that I, I feel like is worth talking about in terms of their two leads here is that you have you have two leads who are both trans men, and ni- you know they don't neither of them have top surgery or right. what have you in the story. Which you're like, yeah, you know, okay, this is in the past, but it's a fantasy past, right? So I'd love to hear more. I, you know, I obviously think that that's really cool and important, but I'd love to hear you talk about that decision, right? And the character creation. I I always designed jewels to not have top surgery just because I I I'm personally not sure if I want top surgery and I feel like it's really like like it's it's like a choice that is very like politicized instead mm-hmm. even though even though like any any individual's like choice is just going to be a very personal thing it ends up being like a really politicized sort of thing so I I ended up doing that partially just because I like I like to draw boobs. Sorry. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's a good reason as any, you know. So but also just because like I think that like trans men can can be men regardless of what amount of transition that they do and they're men when they they're not they're not like their clothes or or mm-hmm. Like, like their bodies can also be men's bodies, regardless of, of what they look like when they take their clothes off. Yeah. But um, I also, I also am not sure it was the best choice. I feel like maybe, mm. like, like maybe one of them should have had top surgery. Cause I also think that would be funny because it implies that they got top surgery in like the middle ages or something. But <laughs> like, like a lot of people right now are very like pushing kind of an agenda about um how top surgery is like mutilation and it's bad and you're gonna regret it and whatever even though like nobody regrets it who gets it yeah they have a new study that's like literally nobody regrets this like literally like literally everyone who gets their boobs removed is fine about it (laughs) yeah like in in that context not in like the cancer way but like yeah Yeah, everybody who's getting top surgery because they want to is happy about it like there's like just breaking news new study if you're wondering they have a study and everybody's like that was a good decision i'm happy about that so 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 like the decision to the decision to like keep your boobs kind of feel like you feel like you're not rebelling enough against that that whole fucking thing and then you're not but then like getting then there's like but my boobs are not really necessarily like they shouldn't stop me from being a Mm -hmm. guy like i should be allowed to be a guy regardless of what my chest looks like Um, yes totally and I also like. Yeah. I also just think I also just like the kind of like look of like someone being really masculine and having like their tits out. Like I like I like the look of somebody just like walking around the house like in their boxers or something in the way that like a cis guy would, but they have breasts. I just think that looks like really that's very gender to me. I think that's really cool and fun and and sexy. So I wanted to include that for that for like just kind of self indulgent reason. That's a good reason for <laughs> art. And I definitely feel like, yes, that's very gender for like a lot of people. You also have, you know, food is another visual dis- delight of the story as well that you like, like, I am really want brie and charcuterie right now. And that pear looks amazing. How, how is food important for your visual storytelling? I love, I love to draw food. There's like, there's a lot of, 
The other thing is that food kind of like fills up a page and looks really nice without you having to draw the characters. But that's not that's not really the primary thing. But it, it, it is fun to just like draw like a really like detailed spread of food and then that kind of like establishes a vibe and a mood and an aesthetic and color scheme for the page, which I really like to do. Um, and then I also just like food and I like to eat food. And I like to draw it and think about it. And I like to draw guys eating food because that's cute. Well, yeah, and it definitely is like something to when people are having a conversation and like they're not sword fighting. And there's a lot of sword fighting. It's important to note this. Very good sword fighting. But, you know, like if you want to have a conversation, you might as well have people eating food if they're not going to be sword sword fighting. (laughs) It's something for them to do while they talk. Well, there's definitely mystical creatures and beings in this book as well. I mean, not only is there the devil who is real, but we have a couple of mystical animals and like monster design, including an animal that is very cute, which I actually don't want to go into the details of the cute animal near the end. Cause that might be spoilery, but like, I'm like, that's like the one thing I'm like, mm. but like, so when, with the, with the sort of monsters and creatures and stuff like that, like where, where, where do you kind of source that from in your mind when you're creating those? I love, I love to design a creature I've actually, this is actually also like my first thing where I'm designing just like straight up human characters. Like for pretty much my whole like teen, teen life, I, I drew like mostly like creature characters. Like, um, huh. and I, I really like to design like animals and creatures and stuff when I was growing up. But the particular ones that I drew here, like the, the dragon that's at the end a little bit, that was kind of just like, Actually, actually, are there particular ones that you want me to? Oh, yeah, certainly the tentacle heart uh, monster, uh, for sure. That was like kind of, that was kind of, that's kind of like a, a little bit of like a, a Don Bluth alligator moment, I think. Hmm. And also, also, it was kind of like, that one was kind of like impulsive. I had a completely different plan for that for my entire script. And then I kind of improvised that because I, I suddenly didn't like the thing that I put in there. That was originally supposed to be like a fire monster. I'm not. I'm not sure. I needed there to be a creature, and I came up with a creature. <laughs> and it's. I just. It's so cool because it's like it's like a heart. But well, folks will have to see it. So you know. Yeah. You color is such an important. I mean, and look, the name of the book is Chromatic Fantasy. So like, color is like key and central to the story. What is? Wh- why is the book called Chromatic Fantasy? Partially because it's a very like i the 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 book is very colorful uh i i i actually didn't name it after the the bach bach piano composition oh Um, i did not catch that reference because bach definitely is not an artist from the 1960s through 80s so i wouldn't have heard of it (laughs) it is a piano composition and a very complicated one that i didn't actually know about until i started like googling the name after i'd i'd posted it so but we can pretend we can pretend i did that on purpose we can pretend i know about piano and mm-hmm. and that i named it after the piano composition but in actuality i i kind of like i was writing down like something like the blank fantasy i was planning to do like a series actually a little bit where i was going to do like the like crystalline fantasy or etc fantasy for the title of each book and they were going to be very short but I didn't do that. And then chromatic, 
partially because it's like rainbow, like the, the book is rainbow. And also I wanted it to be like the rainbow fantasy without being like, obviously like the rainbow fantasy, like, like isn't gay, but like, not like, <laughs> not like too like overt about it. Cause I feel like, I feel like the rainbow flag has been like kind of co-opted by target a little bit and like mm-hmm, other mm-hmm. capitalism and rainbow capitalism. And I feel like the original kind of like edgy vibe of the rainbow has kind of been like lost its like tooth and place and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that and i wanted to i wanted it to be rainbow and gay and like feel edgy again it's not about the lady gaga album <laughs> wait what lady gaga album uh, chromatic the lady oh okay oh yeah i heard of that it's okay yeah like it, but you have like a whole plethora of color palettes that you play with i mean not just based on characters but to different settings and stuff like that and that's it's so appealing like the world shifting between these different color schemes like makes me want to have clothes in these different specific color palettes like this is like that trans-dimensional being woman's color palette versus the jewels color palette versus the casper color palette and they all kind of run together so so thoughtfully like i in some ways like i can't really talk about the aesthetics of this because it's so color rich although i will say to readers one of the things i was very much struck by at the chapter pages is how much i remember william morris is a british textile designer poet artist and a fantasy writer although i didn't know he was a fantasy writer but predominantly i know his textile designs from the british arts and crafts movement and you know like it was definitely his work was very influenced by aubrey beardsley certainly but just these really rich, detailed botanical patterns where it's like it's botanical, but it's also geometric in, in these in these title pages. And each one of these title pages would be a gorgeous poster. Thank you. I was, for, for the title pages, I was looking, I wanted them to look like manuscript pages, like from medieval manuscripts. The Book uh, of Kells stuff too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, so that's, that's where I was primarily drawing the like graphic design aesthetics from and the the lettering aesthetics and then for the rest of the book i was thinking a lot about i mean i was also thinking about those sorts of aesthetics for the entire book so that the whole thing kind of felt like a manuscript i really i kind of wanted the whole thing to feel like a medieval manuscript because i think i think the idea of a medieval manuscript that's kind of full of demon sex is really funny so i wanted it to look as much like that as possible they have some demon sex in them too so they do. They do sometimes. They do have demon sex in them. Um, but they could always have more. They could always have sex. more. There's not quite enough in there, I don't think. Oh, I didn't even mention. Yes. So you have some straight up sex scenes in it, which obviously is really important. I was wondering if you wanted to speak about that and why that was important. Oh, fun. yeah. I think it's just fun. I a lot of A lot of what I was writing about like my like my thought process for writing is I kind of wanted to get out of this book the things that I would get out of fan fiction when I was younger and something that I appreciate about fan fiction is because because a lot of it is kind of just porn is that it's like angsty and like the the author like venting through like these char- through like anime characters or something and then they also are having like really really elaborately detailed and like emotional sex and stuff and it like it all kind of becomes like one whole thing sorry if that's like sorry if that's like kind of like tacky cheesy or no no no, no. nerdy i don't know to... but like that 
like that that was really important for me like discovering gender when i was much younger and also also sex is just part of like being alive and being a person and interacting with people i mean not in not everyone you interact with hopefully but like it's yeah. part of it's part of relationships and it's part of how people interact with each other in a relationship so and how they how they have sex is important to their relationship so yeah and if you have a story where people are dealing with overcoming sexual shame, like it mm-hmm. makes sense that there will be sex. Yeah. Also, you can't have Jules get fucked by the devil to stop being a nun if he doesn't get fucking fucked by the devil. That's just you yeah, know. yeah. And and also like also I wanted there to be like a contrast between the sex that he has with the devil and the sex that he has with Casper, where the the sex that he has with Casper seems like they're both having a really fun time. And they're they're just having fun together. It's really important. It was really important to me for, to make the sex look like they're all, like also kind of just be like they're hanging out, like they're just having a fun time together. Like it's it's part of it's part of just hanging out. It's not like this like mysterious, otherworldly thing. Like the sex with the devil feels like a mysterious, otherworldly thing that shouldn't be happening. And then sex with Casper feels more like like just two guys hanging out, just two guys being dudes. Um. <laughs> totally. But yeah, one of the things I really like, though, too, is that, like, you know, you have this question of, like, well, you know, like, Jules does something that he needs to do to survive. And does that mean that he has to keep sticking by that even after it's no longer helpful to him, even after it's not useful for him? And, like, we're like, does he get to, like, you know, let that go? So. Right. Yeah. One other movie I know I so my notes were like The Devils and also did you see The Little Hours in twenty seventeen? It's based on the Decameron and it is comedy, romance, historical fiction about like people at a nunnery and what the nuns get up to. That's fun. And it's yeah. And like the ways in which the nuns are terrible, but it's Aubrey Plaza. Yes, she is. That's really funny. She is a major character in the story. Yep. Yep. But yeah, I had a bit of vibes from that. That movie does not have the amazing... That movie has good art direction, actually, but nothing can come close to The Devils, the Ken Russell film. Just The Devils is crazy. The Devils, like, rewired my brain. Like, it, like, changed me, like, as a person. Okay, talk to me about that. That movie is crazy. I don't know. Like, there's just... Um, like the the way that like color composition works in that movie, the way that like the use of like black and white also like the like kind of I'm just looking at it. I can't like the tiles I can't. and stuff. Yeah, like crazy. the tile the tiles and stuff are crazy. Um, the the arrangement of colors and the arrangement of people in every sh- in every shot where there's like a a group of people and they all have like amazing outfits changed my life. And also specifically the scene where they're like all of the nuns are like kind of going insane in the church and they all take off their clothes and they're naked. And then that, the, the French guy who I, the gay French guy who's based off a real gay French guy whose name I probably should know because he's gay comes in and he's like, and he's, and he like kind of like makes fun of the whole thing. And then he's like, okay, have fun ladies. I was like, this is like my favorite thing that's ever happened in a movie. But, you know, you have such, you have diamond patterns and grid patterns. There's such a thing in your art for this. And you you can see them in so many of the shots of this film, too. And then the archways, because that's, you know, that's part of, like, religious art anyway. But, 
yeah, that movie wrecked me. Like I cried a lot at the end, even though, yeah, I mean, like knowing what it's a historical story about a thing that actually happened. So oh, yeah. Oh yeah. It happened just about. like that. I mean, probably not quite as fabulous as that, but it did happen. I mean, they did, so. they did like to just execute people by accusing yep. them. They did, they did just like to accuse people of being witches to execute them for like, yeah. many hundreds of years and if they love to do yes yeah. i mean basically like this priest who's famous for actually protecting people and like trying to get tolerance between the catholics and protestants it's framed as secretly seducing people and being terrible and they want to burn him at the stake but it's for political reasons yeah you know it's it's totally like a real world the rich getting people to fight each other to distract from the people who are really stealing from them but based on a real story but yeah like i and the movie got was the, the fact that the movie has an x rating is ridiculous like this is an r movie it's yeah. i've seen the x rated version this is an r movie <laughs> but yeah. but okay you know yeah. i definitely think it's, the religious it's not as it's not as edgy as i thought it would be to be honest yeah no i'm i'm agreeing with you that i'm like okay like i can see how this could have been banned in like the 70s but i don't think it's like going to kill anybody now well, I would, yeah. Oh, God. Vanessa Redgrave freaking out in that cell. Just yeah. gorgeous physical positions. Where can our listeners check out your work online and follow you to see what's coming next? I am dirtcup underscore art on Twitter and Instagram. D-I-R-T underscore cup. D-I-R-T-C-U-P underscore oh. art. Dirt yes. Cup. Okay. Dirt cup art. Uh, what is the significance of that handle, may I ask? I like dirt cups, the little pudding cup that you that you eat when you're you're eleven, and it's pudding mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with like Oreos and a gummy worm. I love that. Oh my god! <laughs> now I really want one. I didn't know that they were called. <laughs> yeah, um, they're also really good with pretzels in them. Yeah, I love I love dirt cups. I think they're great. Fabulous. And to my listeners, I continue to be trying to migrate my content away from Twitter's to Blue Sky. My handle on Blue Sky is L-E-V-I-N. But I am still technically on Twitter and probably posting on it too much. Nonetheless, E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn. And always listen to and respect a picket line, especially a Starbucks picket line, but all picket lines in general. And as we like to say at Graphic Policy, keep it geeky.